Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by the one, the only, Meredith. How's it going? Dealing with my favorite part of the new fall experience as a renter in New York City where you realize the heat's not working and then your hot water isn't <laughs> working and then all of a sudden yeah. you can't figure out what the hell is wrong with it and somehow your land landlord never actually hires the kind of person who can figure out and then fix it sure. in one shot. I mean, so, why would they yeah. do that? That sounds super efficient and easy. Oh, uh, and, and also like you actually care about hiring someone and, and laying out the money to do that. Not sort of hiring yeah. the cheapest possible right. person, for sure. Yeah, I forget that other parts of the country don't have to be engaged in a constant negotiation with a landlord to like live with the base minimum requirements of survival. Yeah, it's not, it isn't like a normal part of the seasons to realize that like to have to count how many days it is before something gets fixed and then wonder if threatening to take that you know threatening to dock your rent uh as a like prorate it is something you should do this time or if you really just want to let it go or if you have to report your building to the sanitation department so they'll pick up the fucking trash I uh, yeah these are all things me and my neighbors yeah. had to like get together and basically be like, I guess we do this now because they're just not getting the trash. Yeah. Yeah, that's super fun. Super fun. Uh, guys, don't move to New York City. <laughs> For so many reasons. But... We're stuck here. We we have to be here because now it's like, uh, what New York does is it, it ensnares you in its tentacles so you're too poor to move anywhere else. Right. And then you're trapped here until you die. So I see these like little bright eyed artists on message boards who are like, I'm thinking about coming to the Big Apple for, to, to act or to write. And I'm just like, don't. don't no. I cannot tell you aggressively enough. Unless it's like actually your dream, in which case. Yeah, but yeah. also like there's a good chance that you can live your dream in like Milwaukee or <laughs> Milwaukee needs actors. Come on. Who's going to act in Milwaukee if all the actors leave? Uh, it's a good question. You know, they got theater. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, yeah. I've there's just lots of uh, lots of things. Also, yeah, I was uh, trying to book some travel for a weekend trip that uh, like should be that easy because I am going to Boston. Ew. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I know. Also, listen. I know we have listeners in Boston. Don't angrily tweet me. It is just baked into our DNA that as New Yorkers we have to hate you. It's true. Okay. Um and. The trains were unbelievably expensive sure. because, of course, they were. And Did you look into buses? Uh, I, you, I am a grown-ass woman. I will not take the Megabus anymore. That right. shit does not. Let me yeah. talk to you, though, quickly, because I had to go to the D.C. Improv Festival. Yeah. Truly, it was a, like a difference of hundreds of dollars mm -hmm. versus like 40 bucks. And it was a nice bus. It was yeah. like not a huge deal and there was an outlet and I was just on my phone the whole time and I was sleeping and I saved a shitload of money. Yeah. See, all of these things perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. It turned out we rented a car, but I just got very, very angry that in the United States we make everything so yes. easy to get cars and impossible to have decent, uh, decent stuff. Like I was saying, the my favorite Korean zombie movie, Train to Busan, is being remade in for the United States. And how the fuck do you make a movie? Is it a, a car, movie? though? Not a train? No. There, I was like, how do you make a movie about a high-speed train between two American that metropolises? That does not exist. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, but the zombies would catch an Acela. That it is, is true. absolutely true. That's what was so expensive, the Acela. I was like, it's not even a good train. No, but yeah. it's the status of bitching about the quiet car on Twitter. Sure, yeah. You know, you just have to do it. Otherwise, Depriving you're not. Depriving every one of those awesome tweets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are really good content. You guys should keep doing that 
So we're talking about every journalist we follow. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I want to get into pop culture recommendations. Of course. I think every episode for the rest of my life, I'm going to say The Haunting of Hill House. I know you have feelings about this. I did have feelings about it. So that's interesting because you're the first, not to say like, you know, to deviate from the the opinion that it's brilliant is unacceptable but you're one of the first people I've talked to who was not like enthralled by it oh I was absolutely addicted to it but there were enough things about it in some of the characterizations and some of the yes. uh some of the writing I just thought they like could have done better and I thought the ending was just awful like I fucking yeah, so hated the ending people who have read Shirley Jackson's book which well, it's of basically course, a totally different story yes so I guess spoiler for the book if you were going to read the book skip ahead to the bad news section after the music cue but in the book truly the last line of the book is we walk this life alone yeah that is the ending of the book which is a very sad stark realist way to end a book and the show changes that to we walk together. And it's like a very optimistic note that it ends on. Right. And I was like, okay, so these people like having, like, it was just that they were, you could all of a sudden find a way to a happy ending within the structure of this evil house. Like mm -hmm. I'm fine with like movies where people accept the evil and then they're like a part of it. I always love the downer ending, the Rosemary's Baby sure. situation. Um, but this actually presented it like a good thing and not in a fun, creepy good way, like in a cheesy, like, okay, yeah. now the families get to be together. I and, thought it was yeah. interesting because the whole show is from the vantage point of this family. And I thought the scene with the groundskeeper was interesting where he said there are memories here, there are precious memories and they're not all yours. Yeah. was really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I admired the storytelling for that because it was like, right, dude, it's not all about you. Like maybe there could be a good angle to all of this. Mm -hmm. And whether you think that's like a happy ending, I don't know. The fact that this family is like locked together in this house, like they see it as a good thing. Right. And I guess like it was such an odd like counter take to the way that the rest of the show kind of dealt with grief as a monster that yes. um that bothered me and i felt like it really made it just made me more impressed by the baba duke and yeah. I mean, the, the way that they managed it because yeah. that i mean it's also a story about grief and about figuring out how to live with grief and the fact that it's a monster but that like and it will never go away but you can survive in this yeah. context and I thought that like that's why I thought the ending which was happy was so brilliant for that movie and sure. I I feel like you know and I still don't want to spoil it because there's I'm gonna put spoilers like, yeah. up anyway um, so if you want to say well anything. yeah just like that you but yeah like that they just live with it and like the monster like the Duke is in the basement and you feed it and you like right. care for it because it's a part of your life now it's just not it doesn't have to rule it and I thought that this was just I don't know. I felt like it was too pat. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah. like they could have, like, given how annoying they made some of the characters, I See, just thought I was that not was not as like, annoyed by Shirley as mm -hmm. you were. Oh, no. I wanted that bitch to die. <laughs> See, I felt for Shirley because 
I know what it is to be the person that everybody looks to to fix it. Yeah. And how awful that is and how much pressure you're under and how like you everybody keeps accusing her of saying like she thinks she's most perfect. And it's like, no, you guys turned her into that. Yeah. Although like even if you feel that way, you don't have to be such a cunt about it. <laughs> like, I guess there's, I, I didn't find the brittleness that she had to be particularly compelling. And I thought that, mm. you know, her sadness about like cheating on her husband, I was just like, wow, you are really boring if that's the thing the house is showing also, you as like a negative. That is like, the only turn that I saw coming from a mile away. The second yeah. she saw the guy lift the drink, I was like, she cheated on her husband. Like, yeah. that's like, I could see that dude sitting at a hotel bar and I was like, oh, that's the thing that's like haunting her. Yeah. I I will say I love the concept, like Nell's whole storyline, the idea that you could haunt yourself Mm -hmm. is a very cool idea. Yeah. Um, So, and just the execution of certain, episode Mm -hmm. five, the 17 minute uninterrupted shot is gorgeous. Oh yeah, there was, there were some truly wonderful, beautiful high points of the series. I think just overall, for me, it was less than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And I... You know, I think they could have done more with like uh, a, an eight episode run instead of a 10 episode run. Um, we say like Netflix bloat problem. And then I also think that they um, giving every character a bottle episode at the front of the season um, while it comes together eventually, like sapped it of some of its tension. Cause I didn't mm. like, there weren't as, you know, like you said before, there's one major scare or one thing that's really creepy. And I think I was, it was hard f- because I didn't, care about the characters as much as I thought I was supposed to. Yeah, see, I was um, the opposite. Yeah. I didn't miss the scary stuff because I was so invested in the characters. Uh, so, like, seeing those storylines sort of come together, I was really interested in. Um, and I thought the structure of it was very cool, especially when they get into the house stuff, like, mm. who's on the other side of the door knocking mm-hmm. and trying to get all of that stuff I thought was really brilliantly done. Um I saw someone who had the opposite critique about it being too many episodes, which is this was a reviewer who said they wanted more background on the parents and how they met. Mm. I was okay without that. Yeah. I got it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like the dreamer. And you're like, you're Mm. her anchor. And like, I I get that dynamic. Yeah. I did. I found myself asking over and over and over again, since this was obviously, these children were obviously like 80s babies and it was the early 90s. I was like, why is their mom dressed like she's doing (laughs) Stevie Nicks cosplay? And like, no one addresses it. And I like love it. I mean, obviously her son beautiful the dresses are beautiful but like you need like I needed some acknowledgement that dressing like you're on your way to night of a thousand stevies is not normal for 1992 even a random neighbor to be like your mom's weird and all the kids to be like yeah like just somebody to be the voice of the audience there is a scene where Nell's having a nightmare and it is like two o'clock in the morning and she's wearing six inch platform shoes oh yeah who is that for is it yeah. for you? I mean, that's great, but like a mini monologue of like, mom likes to feel pretty. Like just something like that. Well, just even an acknowledgement that wearing heels like that would cause so much fucking noise. Like I'm amazed the kids got scared because they should have heard her <laughs> clogging around the mansion in the middle of the night right. constantly. So I have two questions about Luke, <laughs> yeah. uh, aka my new husband, Oliver Jackson Cohen, who's British, if you thought he wasn't hot enough already. 
Uh, Wait, is he hot? He's super hot. I don't know. I thought he looked funny. Oh, man. I Meredith, just kind of hard I, disagree. I kind of want to put him and the brother from This Is Us, the hot brother from This Is Us, on a boat and then just send them out in the ocean. And whoever comes back, I'll let stay. I did karaoke with that actor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. Just a little random aside about that. Uh, so, Luke. Where did his glasses go? I needed like a quick 30 second. I got LASIK and I'd be like, great, Luke. That explains where your very thick glasses went. And then also he is the healthiest looking junkie I have ever seen. I had the same thought. I was over like, is he doing push-ups between like, scoring smack? Because like he is built. No, there is. I thought that. I was like, okay, where? I was like, you're jacked. You're tall. <laughs> There's nothing emaciated about you. You didn't even. And I was like, I'm sorry. You you still have to no, you do not look at all like you have foregone. He's like you know, pale and kind of sweaty and shivers a little bit. And I'm like, I need more. <laughs> he yeah. looks way too healthy. Like, also, I, the girl he's like in love with, she's got like perfect skin. Mm. I'm like, come on, I do not buy these two as. Mm, but she had nine addicts. months clean. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but in that's nine months not... her skin got flawless. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because in in a place where you have a 10 p.m. curfew and a men in women's wing at a rehab center that's easy enough to get out of and then straight to LA's Skid Row <laughs> has the kind of access to skincare that would mm-hmm. make you glow like right. that. She went out the window and then she went to her dermatologist mm-hmm. and she got her magic cream for her skin that fixes um, all of the scars from you know being in withdrawal and picking at your face. Uh, that's why she's like model hot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> right everybody? Yeah I mean Everybody in that show is exceptionally good looking. So I guess I'll I'll let it fly, I guess. But yeah, so I wanted to I guess I could do this as like a quick story because I don't think I had that much to say about it. But the other day I long story short, I thought I had a tech rehearsal. I fucked up my calendar. Turns out I didn't have a tech rehearsal, but I had like slightly too much time to just walk around the city, mm-hmm. but not enough time to go home to Brooklyn. So I was yep. like, I'll see a movie. So I go to the 34th Street AMC and I was like, oh, I'll see A Star is Born. Yeah. But it didn't like start at a time where I could have made uh, my evening plans if I had seen it. So the only movie I could see was First Man. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I go in. It is me and four very elderly people who I'm sure watched the moon landing and this is like a big deal for them. And I get that, uh, no shade, but after every preview, one of the old people would sigh. And then (laughs) when the movie finally started, the old dude behind me leans over to his wife and goes 30 minutes of preview. So I was like, great. I love this audience. I mean, that is me every time I go to the movies. I love previews. Oh, I mean, I don't mind the previews, but when you add in the advertising, like I have been on, like I'm old enough to remember when they didn't play ads before the movies. And so you would go to the Angelica Meredith. If you don't want ads or previews yeah they do it. what a wonderful trade-off to have <laughs> the sound of the subway rattling behind all the screens right and like one movie you maybe have heard of and you want to see i don't know but uh so they loved it obviously they were very invested in first man my review is neil armstrong was a crazy motherfucker oh yeah crazy i did not know a lot about first of all i didn't know he was a full civilian, just an engineer. And when he showed up to interview at NASA to be an astronaut, a lot of the flyboys, like the the pilots who mm-hmm. had been in the Air Force, really looked down on them because they were like, you're just eggheads. You shouldn't be manning these spacecrafts. We actually know how to fly and like land them. But 
obviously you need people to do math. So like, I didn't know without getting into too much of the plot, I didn't know their radar went out when they were about to land on the moon <laughs> and Neil Armstrong just eyeballed it and landed the fucking spacecraft, <laughs> which is bananas in space. Oh, yeah. Like just insane. Also Buzz Aldrin kind of a dick. Oh, absolutely. That's the, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I, I'll say maybe just like lacks certain social skills. Yeah. At least according to the movie, uh, said the worst thing at the worst moment always. Um, was Buzz Aldrin the one that punched a guy when he was in his eighties? Yes, or was that's yeah. a cool thing. Buzz Aldrin did. Yeah. Uh, a, a conspiracy theorist confronted him and claimed the moon landing was fake. And Buzz Aldrin, who was like 80 at the time, knocked him out with one punch. Oh yeah. Which badass. Mm -hmm. If you can do that when you're 80, good on you, sir. So yeah. Um, but like, you know, there was interesting stuff. Like I didn't know Neil Armstrong's um, daughter died when she was very young from cancer. Mm -hmm. And he like was so aggressively heterosexual. He never talked about it with anyone, including his own wife. Man. Yikes. Yeah, like masculinity, guys. It might get you to the moon, but it's definitely not <laughs> yet to get get you, you connected to another person. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna uh I I missed my chance to make a joke about uh emotional docking mechanisms, but hey. <laughs> That's okay. Uh the spirit of the joke is there. So yeah, and I mean, you know, there was like uh, just a horrible a moment where I think it was Apollo one, mm -hmm. uh, the electrical fire. Um, and I like, I didn't know that the reason I had always heard that the reason the fire spread fast was because of oxygen, but I didn't know that was because they flipped their helmets up because they were waiting so long mm -hmm. and their oxygen from their suits flooded the whole chamber. So when the fire started, they just like went up instantly. And Neil Armstrong got the phone call about that when he was at the white house lobbying senators for more money for NASA. They like pulled him out of the room and they were like, your three friends are dead. Do you want to go to the moon? <laughs> and he was insane. So he was like, yeah, I'll go. Cause I haven't properly expressed my feelings about my dead daughter. So let's yeah. do this thing. Um, yeah. So at the end of it, the wife of the old dude behind me goes about Claire Foy. She's going to win the Oscar for that. I sincerely hope that's not true. Yeah, it probably is, though. I know. It's it's the one movie so far that's clearly, I mean, other than A Star is Born, I think, mm -hmm. made for the Academy. Oh, yeah. But it's also not doing very well at the box office. Also, Claire Foy. I love Claire Foy. Yeah. Like, I loved her in The Crown. She looks great as, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Truly has maybe 10 lines in the movie. Oh, and yeah. They're so formulaic. It's like... The Academy does love a British woman playing a long-suffering wife, though. I mean, that's how Felicity Jones And also, Jones like, a tough her, wife. Like, yeah. she's the one who, like, you know, click-clacks into NASA with her heels. And she's like, you boys don't know what you're doing. Where's my husband? Like, one of those scenes, you yeah. know? Um, which is very made for the Academy. But I was just like, oh, no. Is she going to win the Oscar for this? Because it would be really bad if she did. And there are way better performances. So that's my review of First Man. It's, like, fine. I will say the scenes of him, like, in the spacecrafts and the scene of them landing on the moon is truly amazing. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like, if you're a NASA nerd or a space nerd, mm -hmm. maybe see it in the theater. Yeah. Uh, to get the full impact of it. So, and if you're not interested in supporting uh, Damien Chazelle, a.k.a. the dude who loves jazz and won't stop talking <laughs> about it, uh, you could just uh, watch Apollo 13 because that movie is also an excellent so movie good. about space and... Uh, was like I think the better '90s Tom Hanks movie, like by a mile, sure. than like most like his other ones. Being like Astronaut Man, 
and also yeah total total love letter to nerds and oh, like all of the getting full, it done stuff so full on capability porn yeah. yeah just problem nerds problem solving in a room which this movie is a little bit of that as well but I feel like Apollo 13 does it so well right it makes it exciting like they're trying to figure out a way to make a circle fit into a square and it's like thrilling to yeah. watch it right well and it's amazing how they managed to, I mean, it's amazing that Ron Howard was actually able to make that exciting. And that yeah. even though you know they all lived, it was still like, I was so terrified. See, it was like, I, oh my God, they're in fucking space. I like, saw it when I, I don't know how old I was when it came out, but I didn't know the Apollo 13 story. So I oh. didn't know if they lived. I think we were like 13 maybe. Yeah, no yeah. idea. Like I knew about Neil Armstrong and like the moon landing, but nothing after that. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Americans lost interest in the right. space program after that. Another important component of the Apollo, of the movie. Oh, <laughs> Nobody gave a shit. There is an interesting moment in First Man where they show that there was a serious public debate of like poor black people people being like we can't afford food but you're spending how much money to go to the moon yeah which again it's not an either or thing um and if we just tax billionaires at a, a if we tax them at all we could pay for both but it, that was interesting where it's like oh right like the public wasn't really behind it yeah. until we landed on the moon because they were like how many guys died why are we doing this yeah what's on the moon and the Cold War was weird it was super weird oh that whole thing like where it's a thousand percent mm -hmm. like a dick measuring contest yeah. with the soviets um they got a man into space first and mm -hmm. like we freaked out so we're like we have to get to the moon um but yeah guys maybe see i don't know if you've seen it what are your thoughts hashtag light treason pod on that note here's your bad news All right, first, let's talk about uh, poor, poor Carol. <laughs> you guys, Carol's really having having a rough one. Yeah, so th obviously there's been a lot of GOP fear-mongering about uh, caravans yeah. of, of migrants yeah. coming north and invading the United States. And it really has been a story that the Republicans have been successful in inflating uh, to fear-monger people. Oh, yeah. It's not a problem. No, nope. It's, it's well, a non-existent problem. Yeah. It's a non-existent problem. The, you know, first of all, uh, we're not seeing... We're definitely, yes, people are trying to come to the United States because they're fucking refugees. And they're traveling in groups because... It's so unbelievably dangerous mm -hmm. to make the trip from Central America, where most of these people are coming from, up to the U.S. border, where they know they're going to get thrown into cages and potentially returned to the right. U.S. like incredibly dangerous. But it's so bad that they're on their way. And instead of calling them refugees, the press has sort of played along with the GOP and using this term caravan, yeah. which sounds nefarious and like it's been organized by like, Drugs are like it sounds very ominous. It's like how people talk about gypsies, right? Yeah, right. you know where this like this roving band of of migrants is on their way, and I know there is like a semant like a quasi legitimate semantic debate over the refugee versus migrant versus whatever because sometimes people do leave their countries for reasons that aren't technically like wouldn't technically qualify you for asylum and so those people are migrants versus like it happened when people were drowning in the Mediterranean but right. these are people who are fleeing horrific violence and deprivation and we're treating them like I mean Mike Pence is trying to like is arguing that uh he said today 
that it's impossible to, you know, that there wouldn't be a few Middle Eastern people in the caravan of several thousand. <laughs> wow. And there's no evidence whatsoever that there's any who's like, there's criminals and gang members and Middle Easterners. And then all of the numbers that they've picked have had nothing to do with people entering from the southern border. Mm-hmm. Everyone that was supposed like that they would have described as Middle Eastern is actually South Asian. Um, potato, you know, potato. All of it. Yeah. When you're a racist, potato, potato. Uh, So in the New York Times, there is this just money quote from a woman named Carol Carol Shields. She is 75. She is a Republican in northern Minnesota. And she says she's afraid that migrant gangs could take over people's summer lake homes in the state. And she asked, what's to stop them? And by the way, she's a retired accountant. We have a lot of people who live on lakes in the summer and winter someplace else. When they come back in the spring, their house would be occupied. Carol, get a grip. Like, you are almost 2,000 miles from the southern border. (laughs) You can definitely get to Canada faster than you can, like, anyone would get there. Which is a friendlier country to go to if you're a migrant. Um, And you know what? But I think that she did hit on something that's a really great idea. This is what I was just going to say. I actually think Carol is spitballing a great policy idea. Yeah. You know what? We're taking your lake houses. (laughs) When you're not using them, they will be used to shelter refugees. I think that's Mm -hmm. a great idea, Carol. Thank you. Oh, no. I just said, I was just thinking we'd just reappropriate them. (laughs) Carol, this is your second home. You don't need a second home. Yeah. Well, it it just really reminded me, and I know as a fellow Midwesterner, you can probably understand this a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, because I imagine that you must have known at least a few people whose families had places in like Lake Geneva or something. There is nothing so obnoxious as the person, like the, like the, especially the sort of prim, like a little bit too conservative white woman Mm -hmm. from the family who's just rich enough to have the lake house, (laughs) but not rich enough to like truly be wealthy. So this is my question. (laughs) Is Carol actually concerned about refugees staying in her lake house or does Carol just really want to drop the fact that she has a lake house into a conversation with literally everyone she meets? Oh, God. Who knows? I mean, maybe <laughs> this She's is like, a tough one. Who are you, the New York Times? I would like to talk about my lake house. And they're like, well, actually, we're talking about migrants. And she's like, mm-hmm. I'm afraid migrants will be in my lake house. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you I have a lake house? My name is Carol Shields. Write it down. Carol Shields. I want all my friends to see it. I mean, she really just needs to take go take a long cleansing bath in the waters of Lake Minnetonka, <laughs> yeah, as on. Prince would say, and uh, maybe never come out. Carol, get a grip. No one's going to stay in your fucking lake house. No, Who wants to go to freezing Minnesota in the winter in order to like set up squatters rights for somebody's like cabin? To deal with Carol. It's just no. not going to happen. Uh, and also, there was another story that I read that was horrifying and actually much more and like ties into this in this way that's just like these people do not think they don't connect information at all and it was about a nebraska town where there was a massive ice raid that rounded up a ton of farm workers and decimated the immigrant population there so now um families have split up people are afraid to go outside to get work Um, the town is essentially dying Mm -hmm. within a few months of ice coming in and carting people away because 
everyone is either so terrified that they're not contributing to the economy and they can't take care of themselves yeah. or uh, they're, you know, their lives are already ruined. Right. And it's like, how can you have, if you have this, people are not like they're, you're ruining their lives when they come to try and work and live in your shadow. Mm -hmm. Uh, in what you like, how stupid do you have to be, and ignorant do you have to, and hateful do you have to be to think that uh, now is the time that these refugees are going to suddenly get really bold and antagonistic and start taking your shit? Right, right. Are, it's almost like you're saying that immigrants are important for the economy. Hmm, I don't know about that. I've oh, never yeah. seen any evidence except for a lot of evidence. <laughs> like all of the evidence? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I also wanted to talk about um, probably what most people are talking about on Twitter right now, at least that I follow, uh, which is the Trump administration uh, working on yet another anti-LGBTQ policy. According to the New York Times, Trump's Department of Health and Human Services, and considering an interpretation of Title IX, the federal civil rights law that bans sex discrimination in federally funded schools that would define sex as either male or female, unchangeable, and determined by the genitals that a person is born with. So obviously this would be catastrophic for the trans community. Yeah. Um, because it's an effort to erase trans people. Yeah. Um, and understandably, there were a lot of trans people online who uh, were reacting very strongly to this. It's terrifying. It's totally predictable. Absolutely. Following their ridiculous effort to police who uses what bathroom. Like, this obviously was always the GOP's goal. Well, Ted Cruz has, like, ran anti-trans girls and boys, girls and boys rooms, boys and girls rooms uh, commercials in, you know, He's, he's done that multiple times. Right. And this is, they just love to suggest, and I mean, they're already, we're already seeing that kids are, are young people are in danger here. I mean, the, the Virginia school that forced that child to just hang in the gym during an active shooter drill because right. they wouldn't let them into a locker room that they belonged in. Yeah. Good priorities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? So clearly that's a straight up Title IX violation. Mm -hmm. And under uh but under this change, it would that wouldn't matter. Right. And they, that kid would they would say, Well, you have to go in with the boys or mm -hmm. you know, fuck you, we'll let you die because right. we don't care. Right. It's that important to us that uh your genitals match uh sex definition that will let you die in a mass shooting. Uh so out.com has a list of things you can do because, you know, I know there are a lot of people who feel really afraid and frustrated and want to help, um, you know, whether they're, they're trans themselves or their allies, cis allies. Uh, so out.com has a list that I'll link to at our Lipson page. We are lighttreasonnews.lipson.com. Um, so the first thing you can do is bring attention to the Yes on Three initiative in Massachusetts. There's a ballot initiative coming to a vote on November 6th in Massachusetts that would repeal protections for transgender and non-binary people in public accommodations. This is the first statewide vote to strip trans people of their rights ever, and it would take away protections won in the legislature after decades of fighting to explicitly extend these protections to trans people. 
Um, so vote yes on three. And if you have friends or family who live in Massachusetts, tell yeah. them to vote yes on three as well. Also, you can get out the vote. We're doing that a lot on Light Trees and News. Just uh, whether you're encouraging your friends to register to vote or I like to um, volunteer to go with people to vote. Yeah. You can make it like a fun brunch thing. Everybody loves brunch, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, go do that. Uh, you can contribute to trans-led organizations. Uh, this is really important. They need your money mm -hmm. uh, or time if you can do that or just follow them and signal boost organizations like Sylvia Rivera Law Project, uh, Audrey Lord Project, Casa Ruby, Fierce, Trans Latina Coalition, Trans Lifeline, Familia, Trans Queer Liberation Movement, Southerners on New Ground, Organización Latina de, de Trans in, te uh, in ten Texas. Sorry, uh, Trans Law Center. Um, I would also shout out uh, the Third Wave Fund, which yep. doesn't exclusively work with trans people, but they are very small, very active um, on the like grassroots organization that funds um, really wonderful projects and is always uh, young people in those communities. So uh, they are great at highlighting um, much smaller groups of people doing work where uh, even donating a little bit of money would go a long way. Yeah, and obviously this is a very short version of the list. For a more comprehensive list, you can go to the Trans Justice Funding Project um, or just go to this out.com list that has links to some of these organizations. You can also contribute to bailout funds. Um, so much of this kind of systemic discrimination means that trans people, especially trans people of color, are policed and incarcerated. And a mass bailout movement is a way to get them out of jail. So uh, some bailout funds include Bronx Freedom Front Fund, the Lorena Borjas Community Fund, Massachusetts Bail Fund, Chicago Bail Fund, uh, Trans with a Z Mission Prison Project, and TGIJP. Um, and yeah, I mean, cis people, this item is also on the list as well. Um, it's up to us when we're talking to other cis people and if they're super fucking ignorant, like mm -hmm. your family members, <laughs> if you're talking to a, a Carol, if you will, and Carol is saying some dumb, uneducated shit, it's up to you to call her out because you're related to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, let's see. So, oh, real important, support trans and non-binary non journalists. And if you are a cis journalist and an editor or somebody contacts you asking you to write about trans issues, you should politely decline and suggest some trans journalists who you Absolutely. would recommend write about that stuff. Because it's, it's ridiculous how many cis people write about trans issues. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Mm -hmm. We should stop pretending like we're experts on the matter. We have no fucking idea what it's like. Trans people should tell their own story. They're more than capable enough of doing that. There are great trans journalists who would be all over that. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, if you like know a trans person, just or even if you don't, just express your love and support because it's a really fucking scary time. Yeah. The administration is waging open war on trans people. So do that as well. Uh, I also wanted to talk about, oh yeah, uh, Brian Kemp, speaking of the midterms coming up. Republican Senate candidate and uh, <laughs> current voter disenfranchiser. Yes, in Georgia. We've talked about this story before on Light Treason News. 
Brian Kemp is super freaked out right now because Democratic opponent Stacey Abrams is bringing it. Yeah. She is doing really, really well, according to all of the early polls we have right now. And he is freaked out to the point where uh, Jamil Smith over at Rolling Stone has an exclusive. There was some leaked audio from it's always when they're speaking to donors. Brian Kemp speaking to donors and he expressed concern over people in Georgia exercising their right to vote. He said that, um, so uh, yeah, he said that his Democratic opponent, Stacey Abrams, voter turnout operation, quote, continues to concern us, especially if everybody uses and exercises their right to vote, mm. which is such a weird way to put that. It's not like him saying, you know, I, I really need my voters to get out there and have as much enthusiasm as Stacey Abrams voters. It's literally him like saying he's afraid that, let's be real, black people are going to use their right to vote. Right. Dress it up a little bit, dude. Hey, well, I mean, he doesn't, he didn't seem to care very much when he just straight up decided he wasn't going to recognize uh, a bunch of registrations and, you know, voters just getting thrown off buses. Like, there's plenty of uh, naked opposition you know, there's been such a war on the right to vote already. It doesn't actually surprise me that they're straight up saying, like, we got to figure out how to deal with the fact that people are motivated to exercise their rights. Yeah. And obviously what's got them real freaked out is black people voting, but also early voting and quote the literally tens of millions of dollars that they, meaning the Abrams camp, are putting behind the get out the vote effort to their base. Mm -hmm base wink wink uh black people yeah it they're just freaked out about the idea of a, a free open election which makes sense because how many elections have we seen where republicans had to steal the vote in order to win nothing freaks them out more than legislation meant to combat voter suppression and the expansion of voting rights you know like there, the gop there was probably no there was probably never more masturbating go going on in the Republican Party than when the Supreme Court said we didn't need the Voting Rights Act anymore. Oh, my God. It was like a giant white man. It's like <laughs> you could hear the elation from all of the white bros that were the Republican uh, fake protesters. Oh, yeah. uh, at, <laughs> Roger like, Stone's it, people. <laughs> yeah. It, like, well, and I'm just thinking about like going all the way back in time to 2000. So like haunted, like ha like haunting of Hill House style. There's like all of the bros like Brett Kavanaugh and whatnot who are on the Republican side of Bush v. Gore are just suddenly like, yes, we got it! <laughs> we did it, guys! Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's 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 sort of funny to hear someone like Brian Kemp basically being like, gee, I hope people don't exercise their voting rights. And if nothing else, it should encourage you to go vote because, I mean, mm. why not ruin Brian Kemp's day? But also, like, it's so sickening to hear oh, yeah. someone i mean i guess to his benefit he's or to his credit he is being no very he gets honest. no credit he gets no credit he gets no credit even for honesty being yeah. an out and out uh opponent of like the most fundamental um component of our supposed democracy is right. 
uh, because you're afraid that you're going to lose to someone who's a better candidate than you. I mean, a black woman, no less. Oh, my God. Truly the nightmare, right? Yeah. For a Brian Kemp. Like, he probably had nightmares about this exact I mean, scenario he, happening. Like, his resume reads like that of a profoundly mediocre, <laughs> lower mediocre white man. And he's running up against a he's running against an exceptional black woman. And an excellent like candidate. if things yeah. were if things were actually fair, she would be kicking his ass. Oh, Easily, easily. But it is also very exciting that it is this close, you mm -hmm. know, um, it, in sort of like the same way it's exciting that Beto, I have been calling him Beto for so long that it's yeah. hard to say Beto now, but Beto O'Rourke, uh, that that race is as close as it is. Just give anything that gives Ted Cruz nightmares is fine with me. Right. Um, what do you think Ted Cruz has nightmares about? I really would rather not think about it. <laughs> Fair. So in case you were wondering where we're at in terms of uh, the extreme right, uh, George Soros uh, had a explosive device planted in his mailbox days after the right accused him of funding, quote unquote, illegal immigration. Mm -hmm. And also we have Proud Boys uh, jumping people in public in New York City and beating them up. So we're at that level of fascist takeover if anybody's keeping score on a giant whiteboard somewhere. But but really the Jews are the problem. Uh, obviously, yeah. That's why George Soros yeah. deserved to have an explosive device placed in his mailbox. By the way, I've been seeing a lot of people on the right say that George Soros is a symbol, like a bigger symbol than just like anti-Semitism. And I don't buy it for such bullshit. A like <laughs> the reason that the right targets him is he is a symbol of quote unquote globalism, yep. which is a code word for the Jews. Uh, and how Jewish people, this is, I'm in the voice of a, a right winger right now, control like the media and all of the money. It all plays into that stereotype of like the, the greedy Jewish person. Right. That is George Soros in the right's mind. That's the reason he's targeted. It's not some kind of critique of capitalism or wealth, because if that's your your play, there are other people. There's no. There's no, this isn't anything about populism. No. Or economic anxiety, because if that were true, you'd be sending bombs to the Koch brothers. Exactly. Like there are other like or Sheldon Adelson. You know, like very very wealthy, prominent men on the right who are funding politics. Yeah who you could target, but curiously, you're only targeting George Soros, who's a, a Jewish man on the left. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, also, this is just absolutely horrible and horrible, like terrifying, yeah. like to terrorize. I mean, yeah, he's wealthy, but like that's fucking terrorism. <laughs> like it sending, is terrorism. Like, li like literally the definition of like yeah. sending a bomb to someone like mm -hmm. that is horrible. <laughs> and I bet it won't be described that way as much as it would be if say, a Muslim person mm -hmm. sent an explosive device to someone on the right. Oh, right. So, guys, on that note, it's that time of the episode. Let's all jump up and down. Here is your good news. So, speaking of the midterms, this was some good news. Over 500 women filed to run for Congress this year. This is excellent. Uh, which is bananas. And 
uh, truly amazing. Also, I saw Me Too post something about how like 40 something percent of like high level CEOs, like male CEOs who were accused of sexual harassment or assault or whatever the case might be, were replaced by women. Yeah. And I saw someone very snarkily say like, oh, so less than half. And it's like, yeah, I guess you could phrase it that way. Or <laughs> like 46, 47, like, that, like almost half. Like yeah. it's still pretty good. I At think least it's a start. A, I think it's a great start. I think yeah. it's a great start that over 500 women filed to run for Congress. Obviously, we need to have more than 50 percent women in Congress in order to accurately represent the population right now. So again, it is a good start. It is by no means the extent of the change that needs to happen, but I don't think it's healthy to dismiss news like this when it happens. And also, uh, whether or not these people win should not be taken as a sign that more women shouldn't keep doing this because yes. most people who run for Congress the first time don't win. And it's only an unfortunate uh, outpour like outgrowth of internalized sexism and living in patriarchy that women are much more likely to abandon a second run yes. if they lose than a man is. Right. So. Anyone who's out there, you know, who made the choice to do it this time, if you don't win, you know, don't get discouraged. Keep trying. And, you know, the women that were replacing men in those positions, like some of them are going to get stuck with the glass cliff situation. And that doesn't, you know, these one part is getting the numbers. The other part is recognizing that we still haven't come anywhere close sure. to um, equalizing culture in such a way mm -hmm. that we've actually created chance like meaningful chances for these women to succeed and right. i think like that doesn't you know just fighting back if somebody decides to try and press that narrative once the election is over do not be afraid to tell them they're full of shit also women are much more likely to think like i'm not qualified to mm -hmm. run for congress uh than men are men never think they're unqualified to weigh in on anything <laughs> so if you're listening to this right now and you're like i don't think i could do that i bet you could i bet a, a guy with your exact qualifications already tried 100 percent yeah. true. yeah i mean and personally i think like if if you're a stay-at-home mom that's great and we need more stay-at-home moms in congress too so mm -hmm. We need less uh, prosecutors, <laughs> you know? We so, need fewer cops and we need fewer lawyers yeah. and we need fewer pro-life doctors. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah. Uh, especially every few years, I feel like there's another think piece. Can you be uh, anti-choice and a Democrat? Oh, yeah, that, they did that recently at I'm the here Times. to say, no, you can't. Nope, you're not welcome. <laughs> nope, it's like, or, go away, please. Or, or you can quiet, like you can vote for Democrats and be quietly pro-life, but under no circumstances are you allowed to be someone who believes that Democrats should not protect the, yeah. you know. That was a, a Biden, right? Was it Biden? Kane. Oh, Kane. Tim Kane, right. You can do, like, you can be like Tim Kane, who at the very least is like, not my business, just how I think. But I'll give but, you the freedom. Yeah, to he's like, yeah. yeah, well, exactly. He's yeah. like, this is might be where I think, but that, and that's like, the f that's the fundamental least and that's the furthest I'm willing to go. There is absolutely no room for a conversation about anything other than um, abortion on demand. No right. apologies. So also this was shocking good news. And probably the only time you'll hear me like talk about Chelsea Handler in a, a glowing way. I don't know what happened to Chelsea Handler. She kind of went off the radar for a little bit. And then she came back and she's been talking about like her white privilege and how like fucked up the country is right now. So she goes on the Ellen DeGeneres show 
And she was there to drum up enthusiasm for voting ahead of the midterms. And so while she was there, though, she talked about women's empowerment, Trump, the bitter uh, bipartisan, or sorry, bitter partisan divide over the Supreme Court justices, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, but then she gets to this moment and she like talks to the other white women in the audience and she was like, hey, we're the reason Trump's president. And she's like, it's not black women. Black women voted uh, for Hillary Clinton. We're the reason that he is uh, president right now. And then she starts talking about uh, she has this forthcoming Netflix documentary and Ellen DeGeneres is like, well, why did you want to do it on these issues? And she said, I just started to think about the privilege I've benefited from in this industry. Uh, when I started to look around at people that don't have a successful or career or are working twice as hard to achieve the same things, I started to feel very gross about myself. <laughs> For me, it's an important subject matter right now. It's like, what are the people that are benefiting from this going to do about it? And I'm, and I'm somebody who's benefiting from it. So she wants to talk about white privilege. I don't know. I just thought it was very cool. And I, I also just want to know what black person like sat down Chelsea Handler <laughs> and had this conversation where suddenly like, if you knew Chelsea Handler like a couple of years ago, she never no, talked about never. this shit. And she also said something very funny on uh, Ellen where she was like, uh, whether you think I'm talented and I deserve my fame or I'm not talented. Like she even mm -hmm. gave that as a possibility where she's like, if you don't think I'm talented, the reason I'm here is my privilege. Like, mm -hmm. especially because I'm a white lady. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to shout her out. I thought that was cool. Huh, very surprising. Very I mean, surprising. Also nice because I felt like... Uh I don't know. I got real annoyed by Amy Schumer's I'm pregnant, please vote announcement. Oh. <laughs> Just because, you know, she's such a Democrat. She is, yeah. In, and I say, like, the, I hope the tone in my voice suggests exactly how I feel about exactly <laughs> what I mean. Like mainstream Democrats, yeah. yeah. I know. I, I thought it was good that she said she would turn down Super Bowl ads in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Thought that was good. I also don't know if she had any ads coming her way this year. Maybe. I don't know. She's very famous. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like when very mainstream Democrats do good, they should be encouraged. Yeah. So that they know that thing they did is good. She gets <laughs> not all like not a blanket approval of a, a Chelsea Handler or an Amy Schumer, but like when they do good, she'd be like, hey, good job. Amy Schumer gets no love from me until she denounces her cousin. Chuck. I know. Um, sorry. Sorry, Amy. Um, so my other good news story before we run out of time Ooh, is yes. just Stacey Abrams. She's fucking doing amazing in the, uh, Georgia race. And you know, she's doing good because Trump tweeted about her and, or I should say that he tweeted about Brian Kemp, her opponent. So he tweeted Georgia's secretary of state, Brian Kemp will be a great governor he has been successful at whatever he has done and has prepared for this very difficult and complex job for many years. He has my strong endorsement, capital S, capital E. His opponent is totally unqualified, would destroy a great state, exclamation point. So Stacey Abrams uh, tweets, if success is suppressing eligible voters, leaking our social security numbers, and pointing a shotgun at a child on TV, I'll pass. Mm -hmm. I'll take Medicaid expansion, excellent public schools, and good-paying jobs. Donate if you agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then also the, the post about this follows up that 
she has a degree from Yale Law School, was was the deputy city attorney for Atlanta uh, by age 29, and uh, is running, is currently the minority leader in the state uh, House of Representatives. Right. So uh, this is a pretty decent resume if you're talking about wanting to be yeah. a state leader. It sounds um, like you're saying she's qualified. Yeah, it seems like maybe she's got experience that suggests uh, <laughs> a lot of intelligence and ability. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that Trump knew nothing about this race, saw a photo of a black woman and immediately decided she was unqualified to hold a position. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I also had no idea Kemp pointed a shotgun at a child. Oh, I know. Same. Oh, boy. I just what <laughs> don't do that oh man um so in the little bit of time we have left is there anything that you saw or overheard that made you happy recently or anything you're looking forward to um so i have been um <laughs> i re sorry i just realized um i was feeling really nostalgic for things I, I don't even understand or why. So I was listening to a lot of like 90s industrial music. Uh -huh. um, and then that shifted into listening to a couple of like Rob Zombie songs. Okay. So I was very really into Rob like, Zombie like in the 90s in high school. Yeah. So, you know, I just realized that like I had a desperate Jones to hear the song Dragula again and it holds up and I cannot lie about that. Uh, the other thing is I am very excited for um, the eventual opening of Suspiria, which is happening at the beginning of November. Tell everyone what that is. Uh, it is the Luca Guadagnino remake of the 1970s Dario Argento classic, uh, which is uh, witches and strangeness in a German dance like ballet school. Mm -hmm. But the new one, uh, Luca Guadagnino is the director of Call Me By Your Name. And now one of the evil witches is... Um, played by Tilda Swinton. Ooh. So, I mean, she truly is born to either play a witch or a vampire. Absolutely. Um, speaking of which, if you've never seen the movie Only Lovers Left Alive, get I, on that. Dumb. I haven't seen that yet. It's her and Hiddleston, right? Yeah. Her, oh. like, yeah. Also he, born to play a vampire. Yeah. So she's got, like, I mean, her hair is a bit unfortunate in that <laughs> one. I think that was during a sort of weird white dreads phase. Ah, okay. Uh, but then it's also, yeah, Tom Hiddleston with sort of like dark playing a Detroit, like Iggy Pop sort of like sure. gothy Iggy Pop type. Love. Um, driving around Detroit. And then also Tangiers, I think. Okay. Uh, sure. It's, it's sexy mopey vampires. I mean, I it's just so much better than like your basic sad boy, yeah. like Twilight nonsense. Also, I would say Luca is... 70 to 80 percent why call me by your name was amazing yeah well he's also uh worked with tilda swinton a bunch of times before mm. they did this movie called i am love that is worth seeking out um which is like sex and food and the italian countryside mm. and tilda swinton being in beautiful clothes oh, so love, did i ever tell you about the yeah. time i saw tilda swinton in person no and I, my heart almost stopped i was getting korean food and it was at this place where like you know they have the sunken seats mm -hmm. i'm just setting the mood for what happened so i'm sitting there and tilda swinton walks in head to toe dressed in white has a cape and like sits down and the way she sits down, her cape like billows out and she like effortlessly sits into the sunken. I could not believe that a person actually is that ethereal in real life. 
Also, hey. speaking of Luca, have you heard the story about the first time he had Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet make out? No. So he meets them. It's the first time he's met them. And he was like, okay, so let's uh, let's uh, go to page 26. And they're like outside, I think like by Luca's home or something. And they go to page 26 and it's the makeout scene. And they're like, okay, so we're just like breaking the ice right away. So they start making out and they're on the ground and they're making out for like a while. Yeah. To the point where like Army Hammer's like, what's going on? And he like opens his eyes and Luca had just walked away because <laughs> he wanted them to make out for a while. So they got comfortable with each other. And I was like, damn, that is like a good icebreaker. Wow. <laughs> also the kind of thing where in a different context and with uh, not two men <laughs> yeah. would take on a very different kind of thing. Um, the fact that he walked away, I was like, that's funny, Luca. That's funny. Yeah. It's not like he was grossly watching them. He was just like, enjoy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, also keeping, I'm trying to think if there's other stuff that I'm like really excited about or that feels especially like interesting. Um, but I am, you know, not, it's just not coming to me. I've I've got just horror movies and travel and trying to I trying mean, to that keep writing. Like good stuff. I already mentioned that I'm watching Shit's Creek. I just finished season one. It is just it's a really light, delightful comedy. Yeah. Like if you're looking for something that like I recommended the the haunting of Hill House to some people mm -hmm. and they were like, I, I don't want to cry that much. And I yeah. was like, I totally understand that. Shit's Creek, you're not gonna cry. You will laugh. Uh, Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy are national treasures. Of course. They're amazing. And like if you've never seen Best in Show, I feel like that's a good introduction to all of those characters. Yeah. Although Best in Show, if you haven't seen it, what what's going on there? You really need to fix your life because it's perfect. Oh, true. Yeah. Just take a general audit of your life <laughs> in general. <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet and you're like, what's that movie? I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of the movies in that family too because mm -hmm. that crew did a bunch of movies right. together and they're all very funny. And yeah, it, it sort of reminded me of that family of movies. So mm -hmm. also... Uh, Dan Levy, Eugene Levy's son, is great. Oh. And at yeah. first I was, you know, very eye-rolly when I was like, oh, you did something with your son, like nepotism. But he's just legit funny. Very, very good. And, yeah, guys, please follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. Follow me at Allison Kilkenny. Tell your friends about the show, why don't you? If you had any thoughts about anything we talked about today, hashtag Light Treason Pod. Thanks for listening, and while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>